0: You're listening to a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You are listening to Haunting the Studio, a podcast about horror and music and all things that orbit those two points across genres, styles, and nations, where your guide to all things that are musically spooky. I'm Tyler, I am joined, as ever, by my co hosts Andy and Nick. How are we feeling today?
1: Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> It is a day. Feeling
0: James Hetfield out of ten.
1: It is is a day. Um, (laughs) Wow, the world's just like, uh, I don't know if I can go outside anymore because of COVID restrictions being um, abolished. Mm. Let's try not to catch a death.
0: Yeah, let's try not. This this has been the the news section of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Nick? How are you feeling?
2: Fucking tired. Been shifting out uh, dad from his place the last week or so. So
0: nothing to nothing to brighten your day up. Like uh, manual labour all day, every day for oh, for, for, a, for a week.
2: It's my favourite thing to do at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, it's a good thing that no one has to do it. You know, more than you know, maybe once a week per month. You know. It's a good thing that there aren't any jobs out there that are, you know, comprised entirely of manual labour.
1: Yeah, it's a good. It's especially good that I'm not doing fucking any of them.
0: Before we dig in, uh, what have we been listening to lately?
1: Oh, shit. After all of the extensive listening to uh, Swans that I've done, I've never actually listened to Angels of Light. Which was what uh, Michael Gerard was doing between uh, the end of Swans and this next beginning of swans <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> there is some overlap but yeah I, I just like really never taken the time to listen to them but i have recently and i i'm very much liking what i'm hearing like you, you can hear the, the beginnings of like what would become albums 10 15 years into the future but there are in these um kind of much more accessible forms
0: yeah, Michael Girard and accessible aren't really two things I would normally put together
1: yeah, um, neither would Girard but, you know, it's it's like you can hear you know, songs that ended up becoming these like 35 minute <laughs> odysseys <laughs> of tracks in like
0: Prog Michael Gerard. Yeah,
1: in like in like a tenth of the amount of time, and both feel incredibly well-rounded and incredibly focused.
2: What about you, Nick? Uh, well, I've been moving Dad out. I've been listening to a lot of La Dispute, specifically The Rooms of the House, which is a very bittersweet um, retrospective, almost of a relationship that falls apart I guess and looking at the way that that affects the generations after um, the couple that fell apart the generations before the couple that fell apart and the sort of memories that are left behind Uh, I've also been listening to A Crow Looked at Me by Mount Airy and after the live album where he's performing several cuts from that in I want to say South Korea I think Um, and that's Kind of rough. Uh, I think that's a delicate way of putting it, but it's quite impressive. Maybe impressive is the wrong term for it, but you'd need a lot of gumption and a lot of berries to be able to perform those sort of songs live with solo guitar, and it's encouraging and also heartbreaking to hear those performances.
0: Mm. Thank you. <laughs>
1: That translates so great into an oral medium. Mm, mm. Oh, I love oral mediums. Oral, you sick cunt. <laughs>
0: Alright, well, I've been listening to. I've been listening to a bit of Bloody Hammers. Um, a nice. Ghost, but good. Yeah. Kind of occult goth rock. <laughs> I'm getting a look. <laughs> <laughs> occult goth rock. Um, there are some kind of horror punky edges on some of their stuff. I'm sure at some point in some recorded medium, I've talked up uh bloody hammers before first album this is called doom rock and then it gets a little bit more gothic for later releases and their most recent album has was pretty much just a horror punk album very stripped back a bit punchier a bit faster sonically but i'm a particularly big fan of a track of theirs the town that dreaded sundown bonus points from me because it's based on a 70s movie that I'm quite a fan of which itself is based on a true story from the 1940s um, which I'm a big fan of yeah big fan of the serial killings known as the Texarkana phantom murders Yeah, te- I've,
1: I've said this before Texarkana sounds like a very magical place <laughs> I didn't know Black Christmas was based on a real
0: story yeah <laughs> no Black Christmas is based on an urban legend that's what that's based on which might be a real story depending on who you ask could be yeah. Yeah, and the other thing that I've been listening to that I feel worth highlighting is um, a bit of Night Flight Orchestra, and a little bit of Summerlands, and some kind of nice 70s and 80s hard rock, and I guess heavy metal, um, kind of the, the softer end of heavy metal, it's a little bit more album-oriented rock sounding, and uh, yeah, between those two bloody hammers um a bit of slime girls as well who i haven't listened to for quite a while but were when i was you know first in uni when i was a fresher was something that was on rotation quite a lot was that slime girls ep vacation wasteland and some of their more recent stuff i've been listening to and quite enjoying it some very um i guess electronic surf rock would be slime girl genre very fun very upbeat stuff. Mm. Um, I really enjoy it. Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of surf rock, kind of pop punk.
0: Yeah, and shot um, through a kind of
1: s- GBA cartridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It's it very much puts me in mind of those um, uh, punk goes eight bit records that mm. were being pumped out onto Bandcamp, probably around the same yeah. time.
1: Definitely not onto a physical format that was that was um punk goes acoustic and punk goes pop um and they were not good um
0: i've there were some of the albums i remember they
1: they they were albums yeah <laughs> <laughs> um do you remember that t- what was it did we actually find an album that was called punk goes praise or was that like
2: uh, uh I'm sure something
1: like that exists. I'm not sure if there's a specific one, but there were an no. awful lot of those like I remember it was one of like the first times that we had met we went on this like oh have you seen this? That's great. It reminds me of this other thing. And you know, then we'd jump like fucking 10 ships at once to get, you know, just cuz you know, we heard like something that sounded vaguely similar. Um but it was one of the things that we found was this Punk Goes Praise. And I remember the cover being very bad.
2: I'm still looking out for that physical release of now that's what I call harsh noise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh hell. yeah.
0: All right. well, today we are winding back the clock, winding it all the way back to
1: 1969. Yes. Um, <laughs> <Nice. laughs> the uh, 69, the sexiest stage.
0: Truly the year the 60s ended. (laughs) To the early days of electronic music. (laughs) Um,
1: No reason to to reshoot that.
0: (laughs) And we're going to spend some time with one of the most enigmatic releases of that era. The Intimately Creepy Flowers of Evil by Ruth White. Um, Perhaps befitting her status as this very enigmatic and fascinating character in the early story of electronic music there simply isn't that much available about ruth white online making it hard for me as this shows well writing the bits that are written
1: the one who does the work
0: yeah making it a bit hard for me to verify a lot of the details about her life and i don't like having to rely on wikipedia um i like being able to use wikipedia as Use Wikipedia as a starting point, and then try and verify what's on it with actual interviews with the artists and the like. But that wasn't really possible with Ruth White, because there's just not a hell of a lot about her floating around. Um, So I've double-checked what I can, and unfortunately what that means is that there won't be that much in the way of detail about how this album was recorded this episode what I was able to glean from the internet was more general biographical detail. So this is going to be a bit more biographical than would normally be the case with us, a bit more into her life overall. Uh, But I'm hoping that what we do have here kind of puts you in the mind of who Ruth White was as a person when you go into listening to this album. So, Ruth S. White was born... 1st of September, 1925, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. By her 20s, and yes, I know I'm skipping over a bit here, but it's just the nature of it for this episode, White was studying music and composition at Carnegie Tech in Pennsylvania, and working on musical scores, the first of which, Songs from Japanese Poets, was published in 1947. By 1955, her first album, Rhythm Instruments with Folk Music from Many Lands, was published from which would follow a slew of albums revolving around international folk music, particularly from a educational, an educational angle. White studied an avant-garde composer, George Antheil, in his later years, crediting him with gaining the capacity to compose larger works which retained their logical and structural integrity, something that I wouldn't necessarily normally associate with an avant-garde composer but she learned her classical chops from an avant-garde composer Uh, antheil passed away in 1959 so he was not there to he was not there and hadn't been there for quite a long time by the time we get to flowers of evil in the late 60s now her love of educational compositions began Around the same time, working on settings for lullabies around the world in 1955 before being commissioned by the Los Angeles Board of Education to produce what would eventually become the five-box set series Folk Dances from Round the World over 1957 to 1960. In 1964, White home-built her first studio, the contents of which are now held by the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix, and began experimenting with electronic music, uh, developing her own brand of that emerging genre, which fused the new medium with her classical and avant-garde training. She was commissioned in 1967 by the University of California choreographer Eugene Loring to score a performance titled Seven Trumps from the Tarot Card and Pinions, which proved a success and led to a uh, recording released under the same title on the experimental Limelight Records in 1968. Limelight began as a jazz um, label in, I think, around 1964-ish, but the early to mid-60s. By the end of the 1960s, they were moving towards more experimental releases. Where Uh, was that based, Sorry. I didn't catch where Limelight was based, but I would presume Los Angeles, because that's where Ruth White was based.
2: Okay, so like an American... Uh... Yeah, this is an
0: American company. Okay. Yeah. And I, I would guess an East Coast American company. I could look that up, but we are now mid-recording. By 1969, White was elected to the local chapter of the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, Fuck. N-A-R-A-S chapter, and began work on Flowers of Evil, an experimental electronic-slash-spoken-word recitation of works from Charles Baudelaire's 1857 book of poetry of the same name. Flowers of Evil were produced at pretty much every level by White, with instruments, vocals, some of the lyric translations from the original French behind-the-boards production and liner notes all the work of white alone the album would also be put out by limelight after flowers of evil white produced another experimental electronic record short circuits in 1970 which gained a french uh, localization in 1971 on angel records before returning to uh, educational records, which she would continue to make right up until about 1999, so pretty much up to the end of the millennium. In 1972, White was elected to the NARAS National Board, serving as vice president and would remain active in the organization for some decades. In the early 1970s, White founded the film company Cartridge Television to produce several stop animation films and around the same time founded the Electronic Music Association with fellow MOOC synthesizer, uh, synthesist and composer uh, Paul Beaver. White passed away in 2013 at the stately age of 88. Since 2013, Flowers of Evil has been reissued several times by the French label Black Mass Rising. Fucking great name. <laughs> and one final note. In 2020, the track Spleen was sampled by Aesop Rock, For the single Pizza Alley off the concept album, uh, Spirit World Field Guide.
1: Hell yeah. I bit my tongue when I wanted to say I got your black mass right here, buddy.
0: (laughs) Thank you for letting me finish.
1: That's alright.
0: I think, personally, it is fitting to end on a note of Ruth White's enduring relevancy. Because, listening through to this album, it is it's more simple than other kind of dark electronic music that i've listened to over the years comparatively there's not as many layers we're working with a much earlier technology but personally it remains one of the eeriest electronic records i've ever listened to and i've listened to a lot of dungeon synth so i've listened to a lot of a genre that is entirely about electronic music being eerie flowers of evil it's it still stands out to me head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to that i think that even though to a certain extent you could say that flowers of evil is a little bit dated in some regards that kind of adds to the charm very similar to current 93s I have a special plan for this world, the collaboration with Thomas Lagotti. There is this feeling of, it's like a cassette that has been buried and you've just uncovered it. It feels like a relic from another time, but that doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, so it's not, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm saying it's dated, but I don't really have another word for it.
2: It feels like a well-aged product of its time. Yeah. It's kind of obvious that it was made back in, what, 69? Nice. 69, yeah. Um, and it does feel quite simple is the wrong word for it it does feel quite basic sorry no. are you still going to say things?
0: yeah, I just I, I had the comparison has come to me in a flash of brilliance what it reminds me of is the musical equivalent of when archaeologists dig up old wine or old bread or whatever that's still technically consumable that's what I get the feeling of you know, when they dig up, like, a bottle of wine or a jug of wine from Pompeii and they uncork it and it's like, oh, we could still drink this if we wanted to. Mm. Or so
1: we could get crunk.
0: Yeah. Or <laughs> when, you know, a piece of bread has somehow been perfectly preserved at some archaeological dig in Egypt and they, and they kind of break it open and go, well, this bread is actually, it's stale. It's 3,000 years stale, but we could still eat it. Um, it. That's what it puts me in mind of. It's this... Feeling like it is a complete and still perfectly viable thing that was produced a long time ago and I've dug it up at some archaeological site. It just feels like this Relic? A relic, an item from another time that's been completely cast out of its original context. That's the feeling I get with this album. And it's very similar to the feeling I get with I Have a Very Special Plan for This World. Mm. Yeah. but that's just me how about you two
1: so the uh, the uh metaphor that i had for it was i get a similar feeling from this that i get from meshes of the afternoon but in a kind of you know because meshes of the afternoon uh was originally uh silent black and white film and then you get this which is you know uh music album so it's an entirely oral medium. Yeah, I get I get a similar feeling from the both of them, which is one that is deeply unsettling, mm. and um, it's hard to know what to make kind of of yeah either of them, kind of the first time. Uh, I'm not my brain's not doing it today.
0: It's <laughs> alright. I guess I should say that I do really love this album. Um, okay, I should put that out there that like. I still think that this is an album that people who are looking to experiment with electronic music should listen to. It's part of the story, yes, but more so than that, it's an album that still produces sounds that sou- that are completely inexplicable. Still produces these sounds that are kind of like... They sound like they've come from somewhere else, and not necessarily out of the world of music, even early, even the experimental early days of electronic music that I'm I'm used to. I mean, like, when I think of, like, early electronic music, and I just think of, like, the sort of stuff that was, like, actually getting charted, I, I still think of stuff that's fairly experimental, like early craft work, but it doesn't have that same feeling of being so disjointed or disconnected from the rest of the kind of musical canon that this gives me the feeling of
1: yeah uh, it's with we haven't really described what the album is yet it's mostly ambient tone and mood based compositions rather than you know melodies Uh, there are a few melodic sections in the album i think there are four that i can remember uh, or at least that i noticed at the time uh, you know some of the tracks like um missed some rain you can almost forget that oh this is like a uh, an analog synthesizer
2: Mm, she Mm -hmm. does a very good job of approximating other sounds like wind and i think a cat's purring and a cat's meowing on the cat uh, which i presume is made with the synth Um, yeah
0: this Pretty much, this entire thing is made with a moog synthesizer and, mod- and um, modifications thereof. Mm. Cool. And it's worth saying that that technically makes this an acoustic-electric album rather than purely electronic music, because the moog is a is a it's it's an in, it's an interesting beast. Um, it's got a foot in both camps, so to speak, between um, acoustic and electronic music. And I guess that adds to the sense of dislocation i think another metaphor i could use is finding a lost film like finding the original reel of a lost film mm. um is another feeling i get from this that sense of I, yeah, dislocation i guess is another word that i could use to try and grasp grasp in the direction of articulating how i feel about this it's worth adding that the compositions that andy just mentioned are joined with uh spoken recitation of Ruth White's translations of Baudelaire's poetry over the top and I guess one of the things that is really part of the reason for why I feel like this about the album is that uh her vocals have been in some way modified by the equipment she's working with and like clearly a deliberate choice to do so and what you're kind of left with is this fascinating yeah relic of a point in time in which here's what i'm getting at. it's a relic of a point in time in which electronic music was still in its it's still in its prototype phase electronic music as we might understand it even if we're talking about really early electronic music in like the 1970s was a much more fully formed product than what you would get in the 1960s even the late 1960s once like you know the MOOC has been out for a while by the late 1960s People have kind of come up with set ways in which they would normally use a MOOC synthesizer. But because it's still such early days, you still have this freedom to kind of make whatever you want with it. And I think the thing that Ruth White brings out is that she was probably one of the first people to have approached electronic music from the perspective of, cla- of being classically trained um and i think the fact that she trained under an avant-garde classical composer gave her this framework for making something that is entirely left field
1: yeah Uh, that was something interesting that i saw that she herself had said was that early electronic music was like chaos and disorganized and she's uh, it sounds saw it for what it could be which you know is what she went for with the album you know kind of streamlining and laser focusing in on what she could do with it to make something incredibly I wouldn't go so far as to say it's demonic that where like you have you know another Baudelaire setting using largely electronic music the litanies of satan by diamante galas mm. that is demonic <laughs> yeah it starts to approach that territory especially with the final track which is also the litanies As of satan the old drunkard,
2: trampled beneath of horses. you who to console man in his suffering and weakness taught us to mix saltpeter peter and sulfur you who placed your mark, of oh, subtle accomplice, on the forehead of the vile and the pitiless rich. You who turn women's hearts and eyes to the cult of the wounded and the love of rags, staff of the exiled, lamp of
1: inventors, and yeah she runs her voice through uh filters and tremolo, and she in- it sounds like oh this could be a like love song written by a dalek <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the second half of the the track um which introduces like these melodic components that kind of sound like this uh you know if a dalek were trying to compose a lullaby and a similar vocal treatment um but the rest of it doesn't go into that kind of for the most part that demonic territory it's more uh disquieting
2: yeah i don't get a sense of it being demonic or evil at all really it feels more less like a relic from a time where it's been plucked out and we're listening to it in what 53 years later something like that um it feels like we're using a metaphor going back through an old civilization and finding the cornerstone blocks for a house and saying oh this is actually foundational to everything that came afterwards so i listen to this and i hear a bit of suicide's first album with these very cold minimalist synth work synth pieces rather um, that are creating a very uneasy sort of tone but it never really The soundscapes that she's creating never really unhinges their jaw uh, so to speak and swallows the listener whole there's not a point where it becomes truly confrontational or truly abrasive or truly in your face it's just sort of simmering away the whole time and i think that adds to the disquieting Mm. feeling of it where there's not a sense of threat for me or not a sense of danger it's just the implication that something's very wrong and you mm. have these very strange soundscapes that are bleeding into each other, and it's just... I think discombobulating for me. It's very difficult to find my bearings with this album, and quite difficult to predict where it's going to
1: go next, or how it's going to unfurl. I agree with you for the most part, but the beginning of Love is Wine is incredibly threatening. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it is just the, these very loud, very abrasive... Harsh synth tones, and you know the, uh, the the dissonance in the in the notes that are being played is just so forceful.
2: Is quite aggressive almost but I also know because I've been trying to learn piano and sucking at it so I'm not doing very well with it but I do know that that's quite easy to do just making those like jarring tones where they're very close apart playing on a two or playing on a playing on a second sorry or playing on a fourth or a sixth or something like that where the notes just don't sit in harmony quite the right way. Uh, which is why it feels like quite foundational where I'm hearing these ideas and I'm thinking Oh, yeah, I've heard that I I've heard those ideas expanded in more ways later on down the track with other music that I've listened to um, and here's a Demo of an idea almost let's let's try and push the sound in this direction Let's try and make this sort of tone or this sort of atmosphere or this sort of texture and then listening to this I think oh, yeah, and I can hear a lot of the albums in between since 69 to now where they're using a lot of the same techniques and a lot of the same attitudes towards the soundscapes that they're making obviously it's not as intense as some of the stuff that's come out since then and i don't say that as a criticism more as just
1: an observation and meeting the album where it's at
2: just i don't feel like you it. need
1: to like qualify that statement like of like oh i don't mean that disparate like no it's obvious yeah (laughs) like Like, it's it's very unlikely that one of the first examples is going to be the most extreme hmm,
2: i just don't want our lovely listeners to think that i'm kind of dunking Mm. on the album because i did enjoy it it didn't grip me emotionally though the things that come to mind for me as counterpoints to this album are more recent i suppose Mm. um I think "Suicide" is the oldest one that I can think of, or the oldest one that I've listened to, which immediately comes to mind. I think a lot of Shushu's recent output, and often it's simplicity. It feels almost disarming, where you have these, in the case of Ruth White, very basic key tones that don't sound like they've been built up too much. They, they're just—it's just the raw sound of the Moog synthesizer, I guess. Mm. Um and you have bits with Shushu where they're they are making these incredibly dense soundscapes and then it sounds very harrowing and very spooky and they'll start making fart noises or going <laughs> <"Boo-boo-boo-boo."> <laughs> and it's like that contrast between having something so forceful and atmospheric and intense in that simmering sort of way and then having something quite basic and something quite primal almost coming into the mix. It's just very difficult to get my bearings on it, which I like quite a lot, actually.
1: Totally unrelated, but another thing I've been listening to recently has been um, Scott Walker. Um, I picked up a copy of Bish Bosh, and um, there are also fart sounds on that. Yep. Um, (laughs) There's there's a great line, if shit was music, you'd be a brass band. Well, if we're going on tangents and talking about Metallica... Lulu, <laughs> yeah. moving on. Um, <laughs> oh, we've got an episode planned for you. Hell yeah. <sighs> I also... I <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was... A, that was less a sigh. That was a gasp of despair. <laughs> that, it, it sounded like disgust to me.
2: <laughs> <sighs> Owls in particular sounds like a very specific track from Shushu Plays' Twin Peaks, so much so that... I listen to the start of it and I think, oh, we're going to move in this direction and I forget which song I'm listening to. Uh, mm.
1: the, the track Spleen as well, um, you, you brought it up earlier, but I have a special plan for this world was like the first time I heard Spleen thinking like, man, just think in like 30 odd years time, (laughs) current (laughs) 93 would be making something so similar to this, but, you know, dragging out that runtime, Mm. uh, you know, for tenfold.
0: Yeah, I think Spleen stood out as my favorite track for how much it reminded me of I have a I have a special plan for this world mm. okay. when the low heavy sky weighs like a lid on the
1: spirit aching for the light and when embracing the horizon it pours on us a black day which is sadder than any night when the earth is turned into a gripping dungeon in which hope like a bat flutters blindly
0: which, yes, listeners, we will get to probably sooner rather than later. Because, really. I'm champing at the bat. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm champing at the bit to ruin your guys' day for, like, I can't the wrong... Yeah. wait to feel like <laughs> shit for a fortnight. Well, like, just, you know... Like, like get, more so than usual. Just, just remember, it gets worse. Yes, yeah.
0: I think this is an example of a much more subtle kind of horror... You're right. It's not there to kind of like grab you and smash your face in and eat you whole, digest you, you know, completely destroy you. Um, it's much more subtle in terms of trying to translate that vibe into a different artist trying to get across a similar vibe. It almost almost reminds me of something King Diamond might do.
1: Yeah, that 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 was it with the with the the original. Fleur de Mal. Mm. Yeah, there were some things that he was writing that were, like, shocking. Um, shocking enough that they could be banned and not unbanned for, like, until, like, 1940-something. Mm. I think it was 49 was when the, f- the final six, uh, six of those poems were finally unbanned. He was writing about these, you know, sometimes horrific things, and but it was never something like you know 120 days of sodom which was <laughs> a lot of it was clearly designed to be shocking and disturbing mm. in an extreme in your face way but this was uh much more contemplative and it ended up being um uh for baudelaire when he was writing it pretty much everything he wrote for the last like 20 odd years of his life ended up in the flowers of eagle mm. and white i think does a really good job of translating that as well which you know you can't really pick up just by reading the reading the texts but actually sitting with this album and feeling what it's enticing you to feel
0: mm. the reason i compare it to king diamond is that when you dig into the meat of a lot of king diamond's stories there will be you know horrific moments in those stories, there will be a moment where you have to smash a baby to pieces in order to stop it from possessing people or something like that. I'm absolutely, absolutely butchering the plot of Abigail right now. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: thinking back to when because we didn't we do that one. We did do we did do
0: Abigail a very long time ago. Now <laughs> I don't
1: remember that
2: Chucky film.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, but you yeah, will have a moment where something very visceral and horrifying happens but for the most part for most of a king diamond album it's much more subtle it's much more about the setting it's much more about the mood and that's what i get from this album is that it's very much about putting you in this eerie and dreary place and kind of keeping you there for the duration of the album when i listen to mists and rain for example uh i feel like i'm existing in this on like a dreary sodden day very much befitting the title but I get this kind of like muddy just grey feeling from that track I listen to Spleen, it puts me in a similar place to Current 93 because it, just like that Current 93 track, it has this feeling of almost decay to it, like the tape it's being recorded on has been eaten away by time. Um, I think that's what I was trying to get at before, with the kind of the the ancient relic feel to it. It's like the finished product that we get and we listen to is something that we, that arrives in our lap eaten away by time from another place. Mm. You know, it's it's moth-eaten and, and it's dusty and it's you know, it's it's been weathered by by wind and rain. That's how it arrives at us. But that's how it's intended to sound and feel.
2: I feel like it plays a little bit differently for me. We are the first couple of tracks um up until the irremediable very clearly setting a scene and setting the stage for it the poetry is poetry lyrics i don't know um a little of column a, a little of column b the leet speak is um <coughs> Boo. go on the poetry is setting up a mood and a scene it's talking about noth- nothing specific at least in the first half it feels like, it's more the vague feeling of discomfort caused by these various things. So you have the clock uh, opening the album talking about the passing of time and the, the power of time, I suppose, or perhaps how people are effectively subject to time as this vague amorphous mass which doesn't have goals, doesn't have aims, it just exists and is there Um, it was there before we came here and will be here long after we've left whatever place this is Um, it reminded me quite a lot of the caretaker actually both an empty bliss beyond this world and everywhere at the end of time at least stages one to two Uh, not only because they're talking about time and how that's slowly eating away at the protagonist if you like or maybe just clawing away and slowly eroding the setting of the album up until that point. It feels like by the point we get to the irremediable it's a little bit more clear what we're talking about, or at least clear in the concepts or the theme of the album. I don't think there's a narrative. I think you could pull together narrative threads from the poetry that exists but personally it feels more like a a mood piece, an ambient mood piece to me.
0: Mm. Yeah, and that's, I think, unless you've read Flowers of Evil, one of the versions of it, because there are many different versions of it, um, and I don't think any of us have, I think there is probably something missing, but just like with litany, Litanies of Satan, that doesn't mean that there's nothing for you to get by listening to this and yeah i think funnily enough our points were starting to synergize by the time you finished there Mm. (laughs) which is (laughs) a nice little mm, i love things roll i love things you know rolling up together quite neatly if i were to if i were to try and sum up what you should be looking to try and get out of this album, it's the sense of yeah it's that sense of kind of eerie grayness that pervades the entire album almost a little bit staticky something that I think uh, Ruth White's uh, modified vocals are uh, intrinsic to that sense Um, I think that if Ruth White didn't have this um, I've heard it described as grandmotherly tone to her voice and conceivably she may have been a grandmother by that point it's perfectly possible by the time you're in your 40s but she might not have been as well we don't know yeah we just straight up don't know um i'm sure there's someone out there who does yeah
1: ruth white write into us we'd love to know oh <laughs> oh wait i think i missed something <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, i've got a list of people i want to write into the show and it's ruth wright right. eva o and peter steele Yeah. <laughs> Well, oh, Eva O still alive <laughs> I was going to say Ruth White Eva O and um, Diamond Glass for like a triptych of extremely haunting women yes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the this album is something that you can absolutely get something out of without being beforehand familiar with Baudelaire because it is a recitation of some of the base text it's Ruth White's translation as far as I know at least for most of them
1: we we have one conflicting source, but it was also like a fucking image board, a la Four Chan, but for literature, um, <laughs> which is hardly a reputable source. <laughs> Whatever Discogs says, yeah, we'll say. we're
0: kind we're kind of at the whims of Discogs, write <laughs> Your Music, and Wikipedia on this one, and I'm sorry that's the case, <laughs> yeah. but I just could not find more about it, unlike. I, the previous two episodes uh where there was a lot
1: yeah yeah uh, it's, it's quite a lot written about them not nice to have like a at least researching this as easy um just frustrating
2: yeah i mean we probably are missing something um having not read Baudelaire's original works but i don't feel as though that weakens the experience of listening to this album or that this album is aesthetically or Content wise incomplete without having that additional familiarity with Baudelaire's works. You mentioned that she has a very grandmotherly voice, and I believe she worked with children's music.
0: Yeah. In yeah. So before and after this, she had a long career with educational music and, and other sort of educational records.
2: I sort of get that sense from Evening Harmony as it leads in from or. Off- fades in from the clock. You've got these wonderful little almost children's music type... well, basically children's music. Uh, It's very cute, it's very sweet, and then it starts eroding away into these more noisier To these noisier passages which makes me think of swans I know I hate being that guy but thinking of love of life in particular where you have a lot of this very blissful serene music that slowly starts fading into this more industrial soundscape uh, cut with bits and pieces of dialogue or studio chatter the flowers of evil is considerably more deliberate It doesn't feel as scattershot, it feels borderline theatrical in its approach.
0: Well, so I think the last thing I wanted to, to, to add, my last kind of point, is that I really like the juxtaposition between this record, this piece of, at the very least, eerie, experimental, electronic music with a career pretty much entirely dedicated, earnestly and wholeheartedly... To children's education, which is about as bright and happy a subject as you can possibly deal with when it comes to music, is kind of, you know, at least on the surface, is kind of, you know, the desire to brighten up the lives of children and and kind of educate them, especially younger children. There might be, you know, you might get even a single layer deeper and say, like, oh, well, there's this or there's that that's, you know, you know you've got party music and you've got music that kind of enlivens you there are other things that you could bring up but just on that kind of surface level having this juxtaposition between something that's literally called the flowers of evil <laughs> <laughs> yeah. might i remind you something yeah like...
2: now that you mention it <laughs> and then something like children's music where it's a lot more or education music where it's a lot more innocent or gentle in tone perhaps
0: yes innocent and gentle that's exactly what i was getting at um it's
1: perversity
0: exactly exactly and i think the thing that most kind of interests me is that in spite of this i i still think you could call this album educational not necessarily in the traditional sense but as being kind of part of the story of baudelaire's work it's educational in a literary sense it's a new way of experiencing baudelaire's work it's not like a direct educational tape But Mm, what I'm getting at is...
1: I I think maybe academic. Yeah. Uh, More Mm. so than educational. Mm.
0: Yeah, academic is probably a good way to put it, but there's still a tie there.
2: In that sense, it kind of reminds me of the collaboration album between Poe and Mark C. Danilewski, who wrote House of Leaves and The Whalestow Letters, uh, which intercuts between... Snippets of Danilewski's book and pieces of music recorded by Poe, who is his sister?
1: That was his sister?
2: I just don't know if that's like relevant <laughs> information to add to this. Um, oh, okay.
1: I thought I, I misinterpreted
2: what the question was. <laughs> where you're intercutting between bits of Danilewski's book and parts of uh, Poe's album, which are based on passages from the book or provide context
1: to the book or a dif- perspective on the book. Mm. I legitimately thought you were going to say a collaboration between Lou Reed and Metallica <laughs> when you started
2: that. I mean, I could, but that's just... that's a very long tangent, and I don't
1: think anyone here wants...
0: It's a very long tangent, which we might continue after the episode, which we are getting towards the end of. Did you have anything else to add, Andy?
1: Oh, man, I don't know. Um, we've We've talked about so much... It's been an incredibly great conversation. Okay, so once again, Spleen... The <laughs> line between Spleen and I have a special plan. Even, like, grammatically, you know, they open with the... Not a question of if, but when. I can't remember, like, either of them at the moment, but I know they they followed this, um, you know, kind of structure of starting each thought with when this happens. And... You know, it kind of strikes me how there's about 30 years in between them, but they both feel so fresh. Mm. Um, Even more shocking considering that (laughs) The Flowers of Evil was first published over a hundred years before this album came out.
0: Mm. Mm. And it's there's definitely going to be more times when we touch on or we discuss an album that touches on material from the 19th century i anyway have some albums tucked away in the back of my mind that deal quite a bit with literary works from the 19th and very early 20th centuries so it's not actually that strange to have this work that kind of feels both out of time and distinctly modern that you know is based on or draws from a kind of a 19th century source and i think i guess in closing unless there's anything else anyone wants to add
2: um yeah well if that's the case i'm gonna throw in a thing for the litanies of satan itself like the very end track Mm. um I wanted closure with this album, and that is not what I got. (laughs) (laughs) Because halfway through, you have it going into that borderline polyrhythmic
1: noise section, polytonal. Um, It's yeah, I I I I did quite like describing it as the first half being like a Dalek love poem, and then the second half being a Dalek lullaby. (laughs) If you think from. The point of views of Daleks being fucking and that mentally not okay. And you're
2: talking about the science fiction Daleks, not the experimental hip hop band Dalek or Dialek.
1: I haven't heard of them.
2: Well, make sure you're not calling real people not mentally okay because that's
1: dodgy. Are they mentally okay? Probably. Okay, in which case I deeply apologise to. Who? Well, maybe they're not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know these guys. <laughs> you know, what? if if you're if you're Dalek Dalek. Dialect. Dialect. Uh, Write into us. Let us know. Tell us about your emotions.
0: Tell us how your day was. Yeah. We're here to listen. Love your
1: music. I swear I've listened to it.
0: (laughs) Alright. I think that probably means that we're getting towards the end. As a final word, this is absolutely an album we recommend. This is an album we recommend for, I would say, the winter months.
1: Mm, yeah. Um. Autumn,
0: sort of autumn, winter months. Yeah. The, I the, think
1: that time when um, you know, it, it, the wind is really heavy and the rain's like really hard, and the wind when it when it when it blows the rain into your face, it feels like it's cutting into you mm. from that cold. That that's the perfect time to listen to. Yeah, I think to this. I think
0: curling up somewhere warm, but with the wind howling outside the rain howling outside, and just listening to this album, maybe by candlelight, maybe by firelight, might add to the effect, but I think that would be a great time to listen to this album. It's a fascinating work that was, in some respects, as we discussed, comparing it to current 93, well ahead of its time. Um, In other respects, very much of its time, when you consider it alongside some of the other experimental electronic works, the likes of Bruce Hark, uh, Mort Mort Garson, the apostles (laughs) you can consider it alongside electronic music pioneers the beatles um yeah no when you consider it alongside some of its contemporaries you know it's very much of its time in that you can absolutely hear you know sort of the experimentation going on from the time when this album is being made but it is you know it's a fantastic and eerie album and i think we'll leave it there so don't forget to um leave reviews of this podcast wherever you're listening. We are on Instagram, Facebook. We might go other places if, you know.
1: We've been threatening to. Yeah. <laughs> we've been threat- Just give us a reason. Give us an excuse.
0: Give us an excuse and we'll go anywhere.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we bring back Dig. <laughs> what? Oh, no. You're oh, we're young. old. Oh! Oh, that
0: kills me oh no <laughs> alright well speaking All right. of time moving ever onward I think we'll wind up there once more we are haunting the studio and um, yeah you'll hear from us uh, next time
1: That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.